are listening to First Church Charlotte. One more time, put your hands together, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Great to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. It is a beautiful day that the Lord hath made. Start out a, started out a little bit wet and chilly, and now it's just beautiful and chilly. Uh, I'll take beautiful however I can get it. And so uh, lots, lots uh, happening today. Today's a big soccer celebration day, I think. I think that's happening today. If you like soccer, today is for you. Uh, enjoy your friends. Uh, have a good time, and hopefully your uh, ball club wins and hits lots of three-pointers. And so, I love all you guys. Great to see you in the house of the Lord. Today is uh, lesson one of First Steps. If you haven't been through our First Steps uh, training, teaching, classroom, uh, hosting experience, we do all of those things uh, after the service today right across the parking lot. We would love to host you. If you've never had, if you've been around for a while and you've just never heard lesson one, uh, you are welcome to slip in for that. And if there isn't room, then uh, if you've been serving the Lord for a little while, we'll run you off. But if there is room, you might as well eat lots of good food. It is the end of your fasting. We've had a great week of prayer and fasting. I hope uh, you have felt uh, your spirits drawn near to the Lord. That's the whole point and purpose of it. Those of you watching uh, online, we're glad you joined with us today. You're missing something very special, though, today. Our team made a lot of uh, sweet things and brought them. And out front, we have all of these packages of, I think this is white chocolate and oatmeal cookies. Mm. Mm, yes, Lord, speak, thy servant heareth. Um, there's also pound cake, and the best thing is it's all free. And so although the preacher made you suffer, the preacher's also going to make you fat. So uh, we are here for you uh, today. When you're leaving, uh, go by and grab something sweet off the table, prepared with love and care. Those of you watching online, we love you. We're glad you're online, but... <laughs> You ain't got no ice cream. (laughs) Anyway, throwback to my school years, uh, moving right along. I am preaching today from this subject, uh, the battle and the war, the battle and the war. Uh, We all of us, if we're going to make it in our journey of faith, we are going to have to have a long-term view of our spiritual effort. I want you to consider that with me, and I want you to uh, accept it before we go any further here today. Uh, Sprinters struggle in long races, and this is not a short race. And we need to all of us have a long-term view of our journey of faith, a long-term view of our commitment to God. It's not enough for us to have a few good years. We want to make it all the way home. Can I get a witness? Uh, In fact, it doesn't help us much if we started out well. It doesn't help us much if we were first off of the ready blocks. We have to make it all the way home. 
We've had a difficult year, as we all admit, but here's the thing. This will not be the last difficult year. You see, you came to church for encouragement, and you got this instead. This will not be the last difficult year. I've got to make it. You've got to make it. Some of us have pain in our body. Uh, This won't be perhaps the last time we have pain in our body. We've got to make it. Our Christian walk feels like a series of, of battles. Uh, it feels like a series of struggles, a series of even, this is a dramatic way to say it, but even at times like a series of tragedies. And we, as people of faith, speak a voice of hope to the tragedy that surrounds us. It might be difficulties in our family. It might be struggles with our society. It has been a very difficult year of tension and even hatred in our society. And the church cannot be a source of that. The church cannot be a source of that anger and rage and pain. There's enough of that in the world without the church adding to it. Can I have a big amen? However, the church does have to be a voice speaking into that tragedy saying, uh, God makes everything whole. He can heal our brokenness. You see, the biggest problems in the world are not top down. I, I know as Americans, uh, particularly in this day, of a, in day, day and age, it's very, it's very normal for us to be cynical about institutions, and we're not all wrong when we are. Uh, It's normal for us to be cynical about uh, any top-down structure as though the problems in our world are primarily top-down problems. But I I would suggest to you that's not biblical. (laughs) The Bible does not present the problems of the world as top-down. It doesn't say those aren't problems because we all of us know they are. But most of the problems are bottom up. The problem is the sin within our hearts. Like the old hymn said, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now, it's in our nature to be cynical about the institution. It's in our nature to be cynical about our society and to say kind of dismissive things like, well, the system is all organized for the people at the top. That may or may not be true, but that misses the point that the problem with us starts with the struggle of righteous living and godly a purpose in our heart. We want to go our way and the Lord invites us his way. We experience this in our life as an ongoing battle of attention. What are you going to pay attention to? An ongoing battle of values. What are you going to value? An ongoing battle of uh, temptation. What is going to turn you away from the righteousness of God's way? That is how we experience it. And so that is why I say, And that's why I want all of you to consider here for a moment the truth that much of our journey, much of our spiritual progress feels like a series of struggles, a series of battles, a series of uh, mountains to climb, a series of wildernesses to cross, and we progress day after day, which is the only way you have an option of progressing, day after day, 
prayer after prayer, Sunday after Sunday. Does anybody know another way to do it? Because if, if, if you know another way to do it, I would love to know your secret. But <laughs> my life has taught me that I've just got to get up. I've got to get started. I've got to stay focused. Uh, and I've got to worship through all of it. We must, all of us, have a long-term view of, of our walk with God. We must look beyond the battle we're currently fighting. Uh, long after the sun had set on the Boston Marathon, there was a, a single man who was still running. Even after the official clock had turned off, even after all of the crowds had gone home, uh, they could only keep traffic stopped so long, and then they had to reopen. And so there comes a limit on the official clock. And when that clock's done, they pack up the trucks, they load up the barriers, even the police who have directed traffic, they all go away. And after they had all left, there was still a man running. His name was uh, Michael uh, uh, Melamed, and he was a 39-year-old man from Venezuela, and he was still running. Uh, He ran and he ran, and uh, at 4 a.m. the next day, yes, 4 a.m. the next day, 20 hours after he started, Michael finished the Boston uh, Marathon. Why would it take him so long? Most people could walk it faster than that. Most people could walk uh, a marathon uh, in four to six hours, depending on your pace. Why would a man keep going even though it took him 20 hours to do it? Well, the reason why is he suffered from a disease that uh, is very similar to muscular dystrophy, not exactly the same, but of that same, of that same uh, group of diseases. And as a result, it was a laborious task for him to walk. He could not run. He could not jog. He couldn't walk like you and I would simply walk it. Uh, he had to struggle, step for brutal step. Why would Michael do this? Why would he keep going once the traffic started driving past him again? Why would he keep going after the official clock had been turned off? Well, the reason why is as a child, he had been treated at Boston's Children's Hospital. They had saved his life. He had lived a life that was much more uh, empowered because of the treatment that he had received very young in his life. And now in his uh, late 30s, he had decided he was going to raise money for the hospital and he was going to let other kids get the same kind of treatment he had gotten. And so because his story was strong, he had made this commitment to honor Boston's Children's Hospital. They didn't expect him to finish because after all, consider the difficulty, consider the pain, consider, consider the brutal nature of it. But he kept reminding himself that he wasn't just walking for himself. He was walking for all the children who would come of age sick in their body and need someone to give them some kind of hope. And so for 20 hours, Michael staggered until around 4 a.m., 
20 hours after the race started, he took a last step across the finish line and uh, honored the hospital, raised money for the hospital. I want to say what I said earlier again, and I want you to apply it to your life. You need to have a long-term view of your commitment to God. Every year is not going to be a year that you perceive as great blessing. Every Sunday is not going to be a Sunday where you get your inspirational thrill. Every month is not going to be a month where you have this sense of joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's going to be lots of dry passages. There's going to be lots of high passes, but you need to get this settled in your mind. You did not start this because it was easy. And you didn't start it with a short-term commitment. It is tragic when people of great talent prove to be short-term committed people. Uh, As a pastor, it is heartbreaking when I see people who at times they had great strength, at times they had great anointing, at times they had a whole, as it were, chest full of talents that they could use for the kingdom of God, uh, but they did not really count the long cost. They, they thought it seemed good for now. They thought it seemed good for today, but they really didn't count the cost. But I cannot judge them because I too have been tempted to having made it this far. I too have been tempted to think maybe this is far enough. I've been a Jesus freak long enough. Maybe I'll just try being a, you know, label Christian. I've been, you understand what I'm saying. I am reminding you that the battle is in the here and now, but you have to win the war that is over the mountain you're struggling over. That's on the other side of the pain you are living through. We all of us need a long-term commitment to this journey. We must run with patience. Somebody say with patience. We must run with patience. One of the things that we often say on our pastoral team uh, when we're talking about things, we'll often say, uh, and you'll hear some version of, it's a marathon. Uh, We cannot manage ourselves as though all we have to do is make it through this battle because tomorrow we're going to still be running. I want to challenge every one of you believers who've served God for longer than a handful of years. All of you who have served God for longer than, uh, you know, five or six even. Those of you who've served God for longer than even a decade, uh, I want you to know that you've learned some things. You, you know that you have uh, discovered the weariness that can be along your way. And uh, you have discovered how uh, it's so easy when uh, you have friendship tension in a church to just quit going to church as though your commitment was to your friends in the church and not to the church. That's not the will of God. Uh, it's so easy when ministry turns into struggle. Uh, it's so easy when an effort you tried to do didn't turn out so good and you feel like a failure. If I quit every time I felt like a failure, I would have long since dusted the dust off my heels and went another direction. You must remind yourself, you're not here because uh, you're a success here. You're here because God called you to be here. I'm thankful for every one of your friends that are in the church, but your friends are going to disappoint you. Why? They're just like you. You're going to disappoint them. I want to challenge everyone here today. You need to make a commitment to the church that's not dependent on whether or not your best buddy is at the church. 
You need to make a commitment to the church that is a commitment of divine place and divine purpose. I was not intended to do life or ministry alone, but God has joined me together with others. They're just like me. They're flawed. They're imperfect. They get bad attitudes. They're impatient. But God asked me to show I understand his goodness by showing other people my goodness. That's some fine preaching. Take your time. Take your time. Well, thank you very much. I believe I will. Hebrews 12 and 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, I'm reading NLT, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. Somebody say the sin. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance. This is an endurance race. This is an endurance sport. I'm glad you're fast this year, but I need you to still be here next year. I'm glad you're getting a blessing this Sunday, but I need you here next Sunday. Am I making sense to anybody here today? There is a race that we must run with endurance because God has set it before us. You cannot afford to quit. I cannot afford to quit. Uh, Our enemy's not going to quit. And our Savior has not quit on us, but even now, in spite of the junk some of us dragged into the church house, he is here embracing us. He is here loving us. He is here saying, I forgive you. Oh, praise God, somebody. You cannot quit. Your enemy will not quit, and your Savior will not quit. This means, although we may lose a battle, we will not, we shall not, we cannot lose the war. Let me say it again. Although we may lose a battle, we cannot lose a war. Let me tell you something that is uh, profoundly true and a little bit troubling to think about uh, when you put it just ahead of this moment. I'll explain. Some of you, some of us are going to be tempted in the coming week. Some of us are going to have a temptation in the coming week. Some of you are like, oh God, I'm nervous now. Some of you are going to have a temptation in this coming week that is the one that tends to get you. You know what I'm talking about. It's the sin that knows how to say yoo-hoo, and then you say yoo-hoo, and then y'all yoo-hoo, and it goes south from there. You are going to be tempted in the coming week. It may come with the lust of the flesh. It may come with the lust of the eye. Or it may come the churchified way, and that is through pride of life. That's how church people sin, through the pride of life. I'm so glad I don't do what you do because I'm... Anyway, moving along. That is how the temptation is going to come. I don't know if you're going to win that battle or not. It's actually worse than that. You don't know if you're going to win that battle. You don't know. I hope you do. Somebody say, God help me. 
Yes, you do need God's help. <laughs> you know what happened last time. Okay, so you need God's help. I need God's help. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I want to say I'm going to be fine. I want to flex these massive pythons I have here in this suit. I want to stand up here and say I'm strong and I'm going to say, mm-hmm, get thee behind me, Satan. And then, ooh, I'm entertaining some children. God bless the children. Come unto me, all the little children. I want to believe that I am going to be strong. Somebody say strong. I want to believe I'm going to flex. Somebody say flex. And I'm going, I want to believe that all you people are going to say, oh my. Chickens, you didn't give me an oh my. All right, oh my, we'll continue. But I may not. I may drop the ball. I probably won't drop, drop it as bad as you guys because y'all are real ball droppers. But I may drop the ball. How can I stand here in the church house and admit that a battle may come and I may lose that battle? I'm going to tell you why. This is more than a one battle journey. This is a war that God has already won. I want you to get this because this is the story of grace and this is the hope of the believer. Although I may lose a battle, a battle was all I was ever fighting. God had won the war. Oh, praise God, somebody. God did not ask me to fight the war. God asked me to fight a battle because the war has already been won. What I could not do, Christ did for me. You cannot quit. Why? Although you lose a battle, Christ has already won your war. The writer says it like this, Proverbs 24, verse 16, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Say it with me. He gets back up. All you ladies say this with me. She gets back up. All you men say it with me. He gets back up. Although you fall, it's a reality that the text is not so structured where it says if you fall, the problem is the battle that you are facing is going to be what you, where you are in this moment. And the enemy will come in and circumstances will conspire and trouble will come. And yes, temptation is real. And I want you to be strong. I want you to rebuke it in Jesus' name. And you want to too. I want you to say, nope, not today. I am moved beyond that trouble. But this is what I want you to know. Even if you fail... God still loves you. And even if you lose that battle, God still loves you. And the plan is not to wait till you fail, but to plan to get back up before you ever fail. This is what it means to accept that I'm in a battle and I may do good, I may not do good, but I refuse to stop fighting this war because one of these days, he who began a good work in me is going to finish what he started. Praise God, somebody. 
Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Failure is not all bad. Failure is one of the ways in which we define our growth paths. If you say, I am going to do something, you don't know what you can do until you find the limit of your failure. And your failure serves as feedback to you. It gives you knowledge for the next battle and it gives you wisdom for the next battle. It is not all of a negative. There is positive understanding that is given to the person who tries and even though they try, they fail, but they refuse to be defeated by failure. Let me direct you to uh, one of the psalms that was written by the psalmist, uh, chapter 66. He, for nine verses, talks about uh, God. And for nine verses, he talks about the greatness of God. And he talks about the awesomeness of God. He says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing glory. Somebody say glory. Sing glory to God. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. One of the reasons why you ought to come to the church house and put your hands together and lift your voice in praise is because our goal is to make his praise glorious. It's not just enough for us to get together and say, how, how, howdy, how are you guys doing? We want to make his praise glory, glorious. Why? Because he is our victory. He is our hope. He is our joy. You had a tough week? Okay, but don't let this be a tough service. You had a disappointing week? Well, okay, but don't let this be a disappointing service. Come into the house of God, direct your attention heavenward, and make his praise glorious. Somebody say amen. What are we going to do? We're going to make his praise glorious. Take a moment right now and give him some high praise in this house. Oh, we glorify you, oh God. The psalmist continues, say to the Lord, how awesome are your deeds. Help me say that right now to the Lord. How awesome are your deeds. Uh, What else should we say? Well, we should say, so great is your power. You want to say that? So great is your power. He goes on and says, your enemies cringe before you. All of the earth bows down to you. They sing praises. They sing praises of your name. All the church folks should say, come and see what God has done. Somebody ought to stand up right now and say, come and see what God has done. Come on, one more time. Come and see what God has done. All right, sit back now. Let's talk about what he has done. He turned sea into dry land. They walked through the sea on foot, which is a really odd way to go through the sea. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nation. What are we doing around here? I'm telling you what we're doing. We're talking about how it is in heaven. You had a bad week? Okay. God didn't have a bad week. That's deep, brother. That's deep. You hurting? Okay. God ain't hurting. You broke? God ain't broke. 
let's make sure there is a clear distinction between how things are down here and how things are up there. Down here, I'm running and scared. Up there, God is chillaxed. Ain't nobody running scared in heaven. Do you see? Watch what the psalmist does here. He has spent nine verses talking about how things are in heaven, how God is awesome, and how his name is glorious, and how we glorify. and mag- that, That's how things are in heaven. And starting at verse number 10, he switches gears, and he, for just uh, three verses, he talks about how things are down here. And he says, God, you have tested us. Somebody say, I've been tested. You see, I'm making you preach with me today because I'm tired of doing all the work around here. I'm like a one-man band around here, singing, preaching, marrying, burying, everything else. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully, ain't no marrying and burying going on today. Better marrying than burying, but it's pretty much the same thing when you think about it. <laughs> what? What did I say? What did I say? Did I say something wrong? My wife was up here preaching and singing and carrying on and I leaned over to Don. I said, she's really trying to just take over. And he said, yes, she is. That's that's what's going on right here. And I said, but you can't help me because your wife took over a long time ago. She said, yes, she did. (laughs) All right, so... So, so everything's good up there. It's down here where this mess is. I've been tested. Say it again. I've been tested. The, he says, you refined us like silver. That's a fancy way of saying you put me through the fire. I've been tested. I've been put through the fire. You brought us into prison. I've been locked up. Sick of it too. The food's bad. I've had burdens laid on my back. They treated me like a pack horse. Another word for that. It's called dad. Anyway, moving along. And look at this, verse number 12. Verse number 12. You let people ride over our heads. Now, this is a fancy way of saying I've been walked on. Somebody say it with me. You know you want to. I've been walked on. So here we go. Everything up there is good. No pain up there. No struggle up there. Everybody is blessed. Everybody's on the the high cotton side of the field. That's old school for you guys. Everybody is nothing but good times and smiles. And down here, I've been tested. I've been put through the fire. I've been locked up in prison. I've been treated like a mule. And people are walking all over me. I went through the fire. I went through the water. Do you see the difference between how things are up there? and how things are down here. I want you to be reminded of something. Our Christian journey will feel a lot like this sequence of battles. Today, this is what I'm fighting with. Tomorrow, this will be what I need to get through. The next day, I've got to make sure I carry an umbrella because it's going to rain. And the next day, uh, my back goes out. And this life seemingly can feel, this isn't true, but in our pain and in our suffering, with Murphy's Law, it feels like our days are few and nothing but trouble. You know what I'm talking about. That's what it's a battle and then a battle and I'm sick and tired of 
fighting. I want you to get something down in your spirit here today. You will not win every battle in your life. You know you're going to struggle in some battles. You're going to lose some battles. You're going to have some setbacks, but you were never fighting the war. God was fighting the war, and God said you're going to make it. So you cannot have a short-term view of serving God. You need to have a long-term view. I made up my mind. I committed myself. I wasn't tricked. I decided I'm going all the way with Jesus. Some years are better than other years. I'm not trying to excuse sin, but neither am I trying to act like I'm all goody two-shoes. I'm going to be real and authentic in the house of God. I'm going to admit the battle can be strong, but this is what I know. All I was ever fighting was battles. God had already won the war. This is what I want you all to see. I know I'm making this, I'm perhaps oversimplifying, but there is a a truth here we so quickly forget. Why can the Bible warn you of temptation? Why can the Bible tell you to push through struggle and the same Bible tell you it's all going to be okay? Why can the Bible tell you, repent of your sins, uh, get back up when you fall? Here, the Bible is saying you've got battles ahead of you. I don't know how you're going to handle the battle. I hope you do good, but I'm not exactly sure how you're going to handle the battle. Whatever happens, uh, repent. Whatever happens, get back on your feet. Whatever happens, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Whatever happens, uh, confess your flaws one to another. Whatever happens, uh, stand up again in the promises of God. Oh, by the way, I read the back of the book and we're going to win. We fight battles, but God has already won the war. Today we are celebrating together uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and I could think of no better thing to remind you of than simply the fact that the war that has been won was not a war you and I were qualified to fight. That is the war of our salvation. Christ has purchased our salvation. The war that we fight is a different war. It's perhaps even more accurate to think of it as I have been doing today in terms of battles rather than a war because God has already won that war. What are our good works in their essence? What can they be? Uh, Many of us grew up in an environment where we believed that the Bible was a book that told us the things we had to do so that we might be saved rather than a book that told us that which God had done so that we might be saved. And the onus then was always on us being good enough as though that were possible. The onus was always upon us being righteous enough as though that were possible. And in our zeal, good zeal, but sometimes misplaced zeal, what we ended up with is this sense that if we're good enough, then God loves us. When we're righteous enough, then we partake of uh, holy communion. When we're blessed enough, uh, when we're finally at that level where, you know, we have the stamp of approval upon us, then we are the sons and daughters of God. Uh, But this is, this is not biblically correct. And um, 
I know it's common in some circles, but if you want to be biblical, it's my personal opinion that if you want to be a Christian, it's good to be biblical, but there's lots of Christians who aren't biblical. If you want to be biblical, you're going to have to change your perspective of what you can do and what you can't do. And what you have to do is settle upon what you can do and everything you can't do, you've got to turn that over to God. And then that becomes his accomplishment in your life, not your accomplishment in your life. This matters. This matters because temptation is real. Remember me saying you're going to face temptation this week, perhaps? It might be this month. However it is, it's going to come. I don't know whether or not you're going to do well in that moment of temptation. I hope you do. I hope I do. But this is what I know. The war has still been won and Christ is the victor. Temptation comes to us. Real quickly, I want to give you practical, biblical insight into understanding temptation. I'm going to give you six things the Bible teaches us about temptation and I am referring to temptation in the same manner as a battle we fight, a battle we fight this week, a battle we fight next week, uh, six things the Bible tells us about temptation. The first thing I want you to know is how temptation works in our lives. This is not my opinion. Uh, this is from the scripture. Number one, wrong desire. The first thing to know about temptation is wrong desire. Uh, James 1 verses 14 and 15, uh, wrong desire inside me wants to to do something, wants to produce something. There's this wrong desire. Step number two, uh, the enemy will get me to doubt God's word. This is the role of the tempter. Not simply to present temptation to you. Most of us do a good job with temptation on our own and most of us can't really blame the devil for it. <laughs> oh, it got quiet on that. Maybe I should just quit and go eat. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, really, the job of the tempter is uh, not to put the tree in the garden, but to have a conversation with you about the tree. The tree was already in the garden. You are well capable of destroying your own life. The temptation's already there. Now, what the devil will do is he'll come and try to have a conversation about that temptation. Did God really say, are you sure that's what he meant? I mean, come on, think about it. Maybe you're just a little carried away. Number three, deception about what God has said. It's no big deal. Everybody does it. It's just part of being human. Exactly. Fallen human. And number four, disobedience is then acted out in your life. So four D's to help you remember. Number one is wrong desire. Number two is doubt the word of God. Number three is deception about the word of God. And number four is disobedience. This is how temptation works in our life. And the scripture shows us this uh, repeatedly. The second thing we need to know about temptation uh, is to know that Temptation makes me vulnerable to sinful action. It makes me vulnerable to bad decision making. It literally finds my weakness and it doesn't decide for me. It just places risk along my way. It makes me vulnerable. And so the apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus chapter four, verse number 27, do not give the devil a foothold. 
do not give the devil a foothold. Is that plain enough preaching for all you fancy folks? Do not give the devil a foothold. It makes you vulnerable. Proverbs 4 and 3, we've been quoting a lot this year. Above all else, guard your heart. It affects everything that you, you do. Sin makes you vulnerable. It doesn't decide for you, but it places risk along your way. Number three, you need to know your specific pattern of temptation. You need to know how temptation uh, comes to you. Um, If you have had a problem uh, with addiction in your past, uh, you need to be aware of the fact that there are certain places that will increase your risk to that addiction. There are certain friendships where you guys used to party together and whatnot, it increases your risks to that. Why? It is a pattern of sin. You need to know it. You need to be honest about it. Proverbs 14, verse number eight. The wise man looks ahead. A fool tries to fool himself and won't face facts, the living Bible. A wise man looks ahead. You have a pattern to your temptation. You need to be honest about that pattern and admitting it will not in some way take away your excuse in the future. Trust me, your excuses are endlessly clever and you need to believe in yourself. That's funny, I don't care what y'all say. However, admitting that pattern may make it possible for you to make a decision now about a risk you may face tomorrow. So here's a set of questions. When am I most tempted? Where am I most tempted? Who is with me, oh Lord? I'm really getting real now, aren't I? Who is with me when I'm most tempted? Number four, what benefit do I believe I'm going to get when I give in to that temptation? Is it built upon a lie? Is it built upon a deception? Number five, how do I feel right before I'm tempted? I have found the more frustrated I am, the more often temptation comes my way. Don't act righteous. I'll come down and have you hold the microphone. I have found the more irritable I am, the more temptation comes my way. My God, that was for some of you. I have found there is a pattern to temptation in my life. Number four, I need to plan to avoid the situation where I'm probably going to be weak. Can I have an amen? Proverbs 4, verse number 26, plan carefully what you do. Avoid evil and walk straight ahead. Somebody say straight ahead. Avoid evil and walk straight ahead. Don't go one step off the right way. TEV version. I want you to see this reality to avoid those situations. Uh, Number five, uh, cry out to God in your temptation and quote scripture to the devil. (laughs) Now, all the temptation of your life is not from the devil. Uh, The devil would take advantage of whatever he can. Uh, Most of us aren't fancy big enough uh, to warrant any attention from the devil. Uh, The devil's not ever everywhere. The devil is not omnipotent, omniscient, or anything omni-else. Uh, 
Um, however, there are enemies of our soul who uh, war against us. Can I have an amen? Uh, you need to quote some scripture to uh, the devil. So uh, cry out to God and quote scripture, Psalms 50, uh, verse 15. Call to me when trouble comes and I will save you. Hebrews 4, chapter number 15, uh, NLT. Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and grace to help us when we need it. How about Psalms 119, verse number 11? I love this uh, version, uh, this, this passage in the message translation. The writer says, I banked your promises in the vault of my heart so that I won't sin. In your temptation, be honest and don't hide from God. That's what lots of people do. They know they're tempted, so they pretend like they've never been to church. They pretend like they don't have a gospel uh, song on their radio. They pretend like they don't have 49 preaching tapes uh, or preaching CDs. When I was growing up, it was tapes. I date myself. Our kids think tape. Why were you listening to scotch tape? I mean, it doesn't make no sense to them. Um, uh, you all of a sudden hide from God. Why? You feel condemned just because it's temptation. It's not time to feel condemned. It's time to say, God, uh, I want to, but I don't want to. And in me is this want to problem. <laughs> I want to, but I don't want to. Would you help me, God? By your power, I'm able to overcome. Cry unto God and let the word of God speak through you. All right, so that's six things about temptation. Uh, let, me, let me give you a handful of things you can do, a handful of things you can do uh, that will help you overcome the struggle of the battle help you to overcome the daily struggle, the daily battle. Number one, be intentional with your attention. Don't simply let your mind run down any pathway of thought that it would like, but rather channel your thoughts to the thoughts that are of God. Can I have an amen? Channel your thoughts toward what? Whatsoever is a good report. Things that are of God, things that are full of truth, things that are full of hope. We must channel our thought because as I've spent this whole year preaching, the battle is in our minds. And if we do not control our minds, we have no chance of controlling our actions. So rather than trying to say no to bad thoughts, why don't we start saying yes to the right thoughts? Rather than emptying our mind of the wrong, why don't we fill it with the right so there's no place for the wrong to take up residence? Focus your attention on something else. Romans 12, 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. And that great passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, we capture every thought and we bring it into obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We make it obey Christ. Also, 
I really, really want you to know how necessary it is for you to have support in your spiritual journey. You were never intended to walk with God by yourself. You were never intended to do life, ministry alone. You were always intended to be joined to other imperfect people who would then give you an opportunity to reflect the accepting love of the Lord Jesus Christ by the fact that you were joined with imperfect people. The idea that you can get out of the church by pointing out the flaws of the church just simply shows you never understood the purpose of the church. And so, yes, the church is filled with flawed people, flawed people. That's why you're welcome. And yes, the church has hypocritical people in it. That's why you're welcome. And the church has people who don't know if they're going to win their battle this week. That's why you're welcome. That's also why you need them because together we are stronger than we would ever be alone. COVID has been very difficult for our small group uh, fellowships and small groups, but I promise you this, once we get through this season, which is closer to the end than the beginning, we are going to make a stronger effort and a stronger purpose for connection one with another than we ever have made. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage each other all the more. Hebrews 10, 25. James 5, 16. Admit your faults to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes the best thing I can do for my healing is to quit praying for my healing and start praying for your healing. This is why the church was formed by God for us to admit our faults and even so accept one another with their faults as a way of honoring the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts. And by so accepting one another's faults and by so assisting one another's struggles and so praying for one another's wounds uh, that we ourselves would find spiritual healing. Let me say it differently. There is no healing for me that doesn't include you. There is no blessing for this side of the church that doesn't include this side of the church. There's no blessing for the folks in the backs that doesn't include the people in the front. We who were many have become one. Secondly, and musicians, you can come. Uh, I want you to consider uh, whether or not you have a real spiritual mentor in your life. Uh, I know it's not necessarily a common or even popular thing uh, for people to have spiritual mentors, but I want you to know the closest thing to a shortcut to ministry success a shortcut to prayer success, a shortcut to the gifts of the Spirit manifest in our life, a shortcut to the purpose of God, a shortcut to the favor of God. The closest thing there is to a shortcut in the kingdom of God is spiritual mentorship, someone who can help you move at a faster pace than you would ever go on your own. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, two are better than one because together, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, there is no one to help him. This is so established in the scripture 
that Jesus himself would only send out his disciples two by two. Uh, it's not just the uh, ark of Noah that received them two by two, but the kingdom of God sends them out and receives them two by two. Uh, Galatians 6, verse number two, by helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. And lastly, you need to remind yourself on a daily basis uh, that uh, God is on your side. And though you lose a battle, he's already won the war you could never win. You need to separate in your heart and in your worship the battle you're fighting and the battle that God's fighting because it's not the same battle. You're fighting the opportunity to worship God with your life when you struggle for the right. You don't earn salvation with works. Hear me today. I I think this is so fundamental to understanding uh, what grace in a New Testament context is. What can my good works be? They cannot ever be a plan whereby I deserve salvation. That's, 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 if, if that was the case, the apostle Paul said, then Christ was crucified for nothing. If there was a way we could do it, then we should have just done it. Uh, and even the teaching of the Old Testament doesn't teach that. Uh, it's not as though sacrifice is for those who have broken the law. Sacrifice is fulfilled in the law. As if to say, watch this, it's not if you've broken the law that you offer a sacrifice, it's whether or not you think you've broken the law. After you've done everything to keep all the rules, here's a sacrifice. Why? You couldn't keep the rules. So in the New Testament, what do we do? What does our life have to become? Yes, we have works that matter that we need to live. Yes, I have things I need to do for Christ. But those things I do for Christ do not earn me salvation. Salvation is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. What can my good works be? I'll tell you what they can be. There's two things our works can be. Number one, they can be worship. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you want to be saved, keep my commandments. He uses none of the language of soteriology. There's a fine ecclesiastical word for you. It just means your belief plan of salvation. He uses none of the language of soteriology here. He uses the language of worship. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know why you need to overcome the difficulties in your life? Because you overcoming is the same as you worshiping God. It is an act of love. A son cannot lose his sonship. But they can please their father. Stay with me. Christ has purchased our salvation. Therefore, we receive it. What do we do? We worship if we, we, we overcome the ways of the flesh as testimony, we worship him with our lives. Our works are about our love for God. You are no longer slaves. You are friends. If I was a good preacher, I would do better than this. The second thing my good works can be, they can be witness. Let men See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. My works, my battles, my struggle with temptation, all of these things uh, are a result of this 
passion and desire I have to please God. I want to know him better. I want to manifest his heart. I want my life in some manner to be according to the values of heaven and not the values of earth. But I could never earn salvation. That was God's gift in my life. So I want you to see something very clearly. This is difficult. The battle I'm fighting is not the war Christ has already won. I can't see beyond the hill of my struggle, but God can. God's read, written the back of the book and he says, we win. So that's why in the New Testament, you find all of this language that goes like this. God began a good work in you and he is going to finish that good work in you. Or language that goes like this. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless. Ain't nobody, nobody in this house is faultless. How is God going to present all of us fault-filled people faultless? I'm going to tell you how. He's already won that war, and he's going to present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. That's why they can write things list like this. Neither height nor depth. Good times, bad times, happy times, sad times, friends near, friends far, enemies, demons, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's not the battle I'm fighting. That's the war he's already won. Do you see? Yeah, I need to do better, better but that's me okay God's already won the war yeah I need to pray more and all you guys need to pray more but that's my battle and I'm fighting it that's not God's war stand with me all across the house Lord Jesus I pray for every individual that's in this house And I pray for every individual who is watching this right now, wherever they are. Lord Jesus, save us from the folly of works and teach us the ways of worship. Save us from the folly of earning your goodness and teach us the ways of accepting, rejoicing, and exalting you for your goodness. Lord Jesus, I'm not... I will never deserve the gifts of heaven. I will never deserve heavenly favor. I will never deserve angelic protection. I will never deserve the joy unspeakable and the spiritual glory that is in this life. If the standard is whether or not I deserve it, then I have no place to stand for not even the righteous can stand there in the vanity and the pride of our own way and claim themselves to be worthy of your infinite goodness. But Lord Jesus, you have invited us to pick up our crosses. You have invited us to live as ambassadors in this world. You have invited us to manifest your heart to speak your truth, to praise your name because you have chosen us. You have ordained us. We as a church, we want to be those who walk justly, yes, but we
we want to love mercy. Lord Jesus, we want to be those who look heavenward for an eternal justice that will never find fruition here on this earth by the hands of humanity. But a day will come, Lord Jesus, when the battles we fight will come to their end and the struggles we wrestle with will come to their end. The sickness in our body will come to its end. The depression that some of these lovely people fight will come to its end. The anxiety that awakes them in the middle of a bitter night will come to an end. And then we will stand all in all, not in the detritus and rubble of our battles, but on the victory in the victory of the war you have won at Calvary on that day you led captivity captive you descended to the depths of hell and the grave and you took the keys of dominance away from hell and today we stand struggling in the flesh yes but rejoicing in the spirit we stand tempted in the flesh yes but rejoicing in the spirit down here we get tired but in heaven there is rest down here we get weary we struggle with lust we fall short but in heaven there is one who intercedes for us and we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ praise the Lord somebody enemy has been oppressing anybody here today I want to rebuke that oppression in Jesus name and I want you to know this the enemy has more success when we believe a lie than he does when we stand upon the truth and if the enemy's had continual success in your life it might be because you believed a lie that lie might be that you're not worthy which is the truth but he is worthy that lie might be that you're not forgiven. That's, that's not true. Christ knew everything you were going to do before he took that cross. It's not like you slipped up on God. It's not like God's up there saying, well, I love them all, but I didn't think about what Don did. If I would have known Don is going to be a DJ, I wouldn't have gone through it. I'd have let him hang out with them cigarettes, whiskey, and wild, wild women. You were not a surprise to God. Point your finger at your neighbor and say, you were not a surprise to God. He knew you before the worlds were formed and he decided he loved you enough to love, to, to forgive you. He loved you enough to include you. And you're thinking, oh, but I'm a dirty low down. It's the stinking truth. You are a dirty low down. You're never gonna be good enough. But he became your righteousness. That's the only way. Anybody is going to get presented faultless before the throne of his glory. That's not a license to sin, but that is a realization that we were never able to defeat sin ourselves. I've suffered under misconceptions, and so I'm passionate when I preach it. It breaks my heart to see people who think that God's in heaven looking for an excuse to hurt them because, after all, that's what all fathers want to do to their children. Come on. No, you are invited to walk in his way. You are invited to love him with all your soul, mind, heart, and strength. You are invited to accept his work in your life. In Jesus' name, I speak against oppression. 
Somebody praise Him for freedom in the house right now. You rebuke the oppression. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. All right, you may be seated. Our ushers are going to begin to serve you. We are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And while we're doing that, I'm going to very quickly remind all of you that there is a right way for us to partake of the Lord's Supper. In the New Testament church, there were certain congregations who made it more of a feast party than a religious sacrament. Uh, The reason why they did this is because the religions they had come of age in, they were Gentiles, all celebrated, thank you my brother, they all celebrated their holy days by a feast slash party. And so these people became Christians and they thought the point of the Lord's Supper was a feast slash party. And that's not the point of it. It's an act of remembrance, divine spiritual remembrance. And so Paul wrote to correct this and he wanted to stop this attitude of flippant celebration. As though there was not a great divide between our worthiness and God's great gift. When someone has done something great for you, you don't say, oh, thanks, see you later. Does that make sense? If someone saves the life of your child, you're not like, toodle-doo, see you later. No. You're like, stop the presses. I'm not checking my phone. And so there's this reverence in it, and and some of them have taken it too far into this kind of feast celebration. That's what Paul is correcting. Now, the fearful heart, if you were raised a certain way, um, you probably have at time wondered if if there's anything wrong in me and I take communion, then then God's going to give me a dread disease. And I want, if I can, I don't know if my words can weigh as heavy in your heart as the way some of you were raised, you poor darlings. Um, But (laughs) I want to let you know, communion, the institution of the Lord's Supper, is not about our worthiness. It's about His worthiness. It's not about our accomplishment. It's about His accomplishment. I'll try to show you that as we're reading it. And so you need to simply, sincerely repent for anything that's in your heart that is an embarrassment in the, in the, in the hallway of heaven, so to speak. Uh, I simply repent if there's wrong in me, Lord. Do this with me right now. Lord, we repent of everything that is within us that is of the flesh. There are, for some of us, recurring battles that we go back to, and we don't do it because we're trying to cheat you, Lord. We do it because of the temptation in our heart. And you knew that about us. And you extended everlasting love to us again and again and again. And so we, all of us, humbly confess our weakness. And we humbly confess the temptations that are recurrent in our life. And we are not desiring to live that way. But we're asking you for strength to turn away from that. And we praise you today because we know strength comes from the Lord. We repent of our sins. We ask for spiritual covering in our heart. And can the church say amen. Now once you have sincerely apologized, there's no reason for you to continue in fear. And the reason why is because you haven't perceived the love of God if you continue in fear. 
the love of God is the antithesis, uh, the opposite of uh, fear. In fact, it's worse than that. Um, the love of God casts out uh, fear. It's like the love of God cannot cohabitate with that fear, and it becomes the strong man that orders the home. Remember the words of Jesus? A uh, strong man can't come take over a house unless he first binds the strong man in the house. So when the love of God is in your life, uh, that fear cannot coexist, but the love of God will bind that and cast it out of your life. So I do not want you to uh, think in terms of dread. I do want you to think in terms of spiritual devotion. Christ did a work for me that I need to remember. And Christ did a work for me that I need to celebrate as a spiritual sacrament. And that is what we are we are doing here. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.